You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's up, rockers? Welcome to episode six of the Managemental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up and comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. Yes, the struggle is real, my friends, but let us help you uncover some of the mystery that is this competitive business of rock and roll. I'm your host coffee drinker, partial architect of the Blast Beat, band manager by day, and classic rock revitalist by night, Mr. Blasco. I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, a record label owner, artist manager, and craft beer elitist, Mr. Mike Mowry. Oh yeah, baby. Pounding them craft beers with nothing but a pinky in the air showing off my uh, elitist nature. Been been fortunate to partake in a few, and you know I'm excited. By the time this podcast comes out, this will have already happened. But we're launching the Darkest Hour, Savor the Swill collaboration beer with our good friends here at DC DC Brown. So I've uh, been testing that one out. So yeah, I, I am in a week, my friend. Is that like a an IPA? Like what what's going on with the Darkest Hour beer? You know, Pig Destroyer did a beer with somebody. And they did like a really heavy, high alcohol, either an IPA or a stout or something. And these are metal dudes in bands that are chugging these things. So by about three in, everybody was sloshed and annihilated. So they decided to flip it all on its head, flip the script, and they made a a Hells, H-E-L-L-E-S, which is cool because it has hell in it. But it's a German beer. It's kind of like a Pilsner. I think my boy Mike from Darkest Hour called it a glorified Miller Lite. But it's nice and crisp. I think it's got about 5% alcohol. So by the time they play their show next Friday, February 17th at the Black Cat, we will be swigging multiples of those down and hopefully still standing by next end. Nice. Well, check it out. In today's episode, we discuss getting signed to a record label. Inspired by an article written by our buddy, Shandan Horan, for altpress.com. This is one super hot topic, so let's get mental. So Mike, you know a thing or two about record labels, and more specifically, being signed to one or signing bands to them. So let's break that down real quick. What bands have you got signed elsewhere and to what labels and what bands have you signed to Outer Loop Records? You know, it's interesting as I've been on the verge of building up my personal resume and about to launch my coaching platform. One of my the things that I want to do is go back and look at the number of bands that I've actually gotten signed. It's one of my favorite things to do. One of the reasons that I like to do it so much is if I, as the manager, am involved with that deal, I know all of the points to it. I know what we've agreed to and what we haven't agreed to. And so as we get down the line and there's either glaring success 
or the inevitable problems that sometimes arise, I know that I'm the one that, along with the artist and their attorney, put us in that precarious position. So I don't know the exact number, you know, over the course of my 13-year career. I do know that at current, for Outer Loop Records, we have four bands signed to the label, Youth and Revolt, Chasing Safety, Migosh, and Lorna Shore. And I can tell you that on the management side, we've recently done deals with Darkest Hour. We just licensed their record to Southern Lord. Ghostbath, who signed to Nuclear Blast, refused, who actually on their comeback album, we took a bunch of meetings and signed them to Epitaph. Carnifex, we got them out after they ended their victory contract. We got them signed to Nuclear Blast. Ice Nine Kills is an interesting one because they were signed to Outer Loop when we were part of Fearless, and they got upstream to Fearless. So, But when that happened, we were able to go in and negotiate some other parts to that so there's any number you know tooth grinder we got signed to spine farm cover your tracks as an epitaph band i've got a couple deals that i'm working on right this second so as you can see as somebody who works with a number of bands i really enjoy the deal hunting and deal making part of the business I mean, for me as a musician, man, I, I was signed to Metal Blade in the mid 80s, you know, for like 86 through 88 with Cryptic Slaughter. We put out three records on Metal Blade. And then in the mid 90s, I was in this band and uh, we got signed to um, what was that? East Electra Records. I don't know if you remember them. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were signed by this guy named Michael Olago, who had signed Metallica, and he had signed um, White Zombie, actually. And uh, and so that was a that was a fun little trek there. And then after that, kind of fell to shit. Um, <laughs> I just started playing in other people's bands, you know, with like Prong and Danzig and Zombie and Ozzy and stuff. So clearly, those situations were already in place. But then I started when I started managing bands is when the fun of getting unknown bands signed to record labels and man i've signed bands to century media records there was a band called burn and silence that i got signed to prosthetic when i first started managing there was the season of mist records did a deal with them i must have signed someone to metal blade records at some point and i, I don't remember uh, spine farm for sure like uh overseas you know because you don't have to do a worldwide deal right you can have multiple uh deals in multiple territories so, uh, yeah, I mean, during my time managing Periphery, you know, we were adamant about licensing the album. And so we licensed it to different partners in different territories. And it's really interesting because that was really right before the cusp of YouTube kind of being such a massive monolith that it is within the business. And as we went on, it was so hard. Like when, when I really quarterbacked the coordination of the five different territories on their alpha and omega record it was such an incredible challenge you know we would be dealing with a youtube premiere in the states and having europe get up in arms because it would go up prior and all of these things so it is it's in it's fun to do and i like the fact that you can sometimes separate and do separate deals but it's interesting as things continue to progress certain parts of it become more and more challenging Without a doubt, man. An article written by Shandan, he's from Artery Recordings for altpress.com, titled, Is Your Band Really Ready to Be on a Record Label? is the basis for today's discussion. 
As usual, we will link the article and any relevant websites in the show notes for all those interested in uh, checking them out. If you are currently grinding it out in a basement or garage somewhere, chances are, quote unquote, being signed is on your list of long-term goals. But let us offer a reality check. Are you actually ready to be in a partnership with the record label? Let's discuss. Number one, is your music not just good, but great? With the advent of the internet, music has become so universally accessible that every band in the world now has a platform to take center stage. This is a great way to garner attention from fans and record labels across the world. However, now it's harder than ever to get noticed. One of the greatest ways to shine through your competition is having a spectacular album. After all, that's what this is all about. While some people would disagree with me, one of the most important factors with any successful band is having not good, but great music. I'm curious who would disagree with them. As guys that are consistently trying to build pull a relatively kind of lame term when it comes to a band, but a portfolio. You know, you want great music. You want great aesthetic. You want great socials. You want great touring. And I know we'll get into some of that stuff, but... And of course, when you're starting out, just as probably when you were first in Cryptic Slaughter, you weren't great back then. You were good, but someone at Metal Blade saw the potential for you to be great. And I think that's a big part of it. But of course, you need great music. If you got great music, that's what cuts through all the noise that we both know exists on the internet. And that is a surefire way to really get noticed. I kind of disagree in that great sounds so final. It sounds so like, oh man, like I have to be in a, I have to write with writers. I have, the songs have to be perfect. They have to sonically sound perfect. And I kind of believe that it's, it's a little bit more important just to get started rather than it is to be great, right? Like a good idea poorly executed is better than a bad idea that's greatly executed. So like, you know what I mean? Like you listen to like a lot of these bands, like first records or first demos or whatever. I wouldn't go so far as to say that the shit was great, right? Like any bands that I signed or whatever, like their, their demos or their, you know, the stuff that was up on MySpace or, and sure. whatnot, like it got better. But like you're saying, it's like there was something there that signaled to the label of that there was greatness on the horizon. So for me, I don't know so much as it's a matter of being great so much as it's a matter of being unique. Yeah, that I mean, actually, you make a, a fantastic point. And I don't think I've I've pulled this nugget out yet. But one of the things that I talk about uh, in my you know, my ebook, the management primer, the business of being an artist is great content done consistently over time is what leads to results. But, you know, great is subjective, just as you're saying. And great is something you have to aspire to. So when I bring people in and I, you know, write that up on a whiteboard or something, I cross out great and say good enough. So I think you, you know, I would agree. You make a great, you make a great point <laughs> in yeah, saying I mean that being unique is really being different what sets you apart from the pack i have a good example so i have a buddy whose dad was the bass player in steely dan okay and my buddy's favorite band is black sabbath 
his dad rips on Black Sabbath is like, oh, oh, dude, like, why do you like that shit? Like, they were so, like, out of tune and, like, out of time and, you know, like, oh, so sloppy or whatever. Now, coming from the dude from Steely Dan, I understand that perspective. But how many guys do you know with Steely Dan tattoos? <laughs> you know, by you the know way, I mean? by what, the way, what, that's that's only a story you can get living in L.A., man. Yeah, I mean, what what movement did Steely Dan start? You know what I mean? So it's like if a guy from like a progressive band that is very bent on specifically mechanical execution, then yeah, Black Sabbath isn't going to be your cup of tea. But so comparatively, Black Sabbath wasn't technically as great of a band, but they were great. Yeah, and and I mean, we don't, you know, maybe this will be the last point that I make on this, but you're you're exactly right in in that regard, too. I mean, how many times have you and I seen a band in the studio, you know, who's so excited about, like you said, the, the technical execution of a riff or a solo or a drum beat or a drum fill, and there's still no song there. And there's nothing that actually grabs the audience at large. You know, the 10% of the people that really are focused on the technical proficiency are stoked. But we're talking about, well, I mean, I guess it depends on what your, you know, what your goal is. But I think you make a really good point there. Number two, do you have a tour history? You can only advertise your album on Facebook so much. With a new album comes an intense touring schedule. Getting out on the road and spreading your music is by far one of the best ways to gain new fans, especially a tour with bands that have a similar following. The perils of the road are harsh, and being away from the comforts of home can break the most hardened individual. If a band hasn't proved themselves on the road, most labels will view that as a risk. Yeah, as well they should. I mean, I have this thing where they're, you know, I call them sort of internet bands. And not that I'm going to continually bring up Periphery, but it was a pretty good example where they, you know, went through multiple singers and they finally found a singer who was from the other side of the country. He was from San Diego. And you took this kid who went out, he auditioned, he did a great job, he got the job, and then on tour, He's out there with five other people and not everybody sees eye to eye and you've got these existing relationships of guys like that. And and again, I don't mean to, this isn't picking on them because there's plenty of other examples of bands that in this day and age, if you're a great bass player and I'm over here, a great guitar player, and there's a dude, you know, in Wisconsin, who's a great drummer, we could literally form the band on the internet and then once we try to get in the van, we realize that, holy shit, dude, I don't like you, you know? I mean, I like you when we're writing music and I can go home and, you know, sleep in my own bed. But the minute that I got to rely on you to, you know, make sure that we do something, get there on time, manage the money, do all of the things that it takes to be in a band, especially a struggling band, having some sort of tour history is paramount it should be paramount to any of us that run labels wanting to sign a band. That said, it can be so challenging because in the vein of the internet world, you can end up with something great in your hands and you're just, you know, you're almost like gambling, saying, Well, I hope that they can tour. I'm just gonna bet on it. I like the music so much that I'm gonna bet that they can actually tour together. Yeah, I mean to continue on that, I mean 
why a record label sees a band that hasn't toured yet as a risk is because there's a lot of time and energy and money and resources that go into releasing a record, right? And to to dump all that into a situation where then, okay, now the band's going to go on tour for the first time. And Mike, I mean, how many times have you seen this? Like you were saying, they, they go out there and they like implode just because they're like, oh, holy fuck, this is harder than I thought. And like, we don't like each other. And this guy gets under my skin. And, and then all that time and energy and money and resources was a complete waste because it's like they go out there and then it's like false start, you know, and it's over. And, uh, and it's a real drag. So that's, that's why labels see that as a risk. So for nothing else, you know, like a young and upcoming band, Man, it doesn't have to be some major tour. You know, you don't have to wait around for the perfect situation. You just got to get out there and see if you can even handle it. <laughs> see if you can even like each other. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And you get into a little bit of chicken and egg because, you know, it used to be in our day and age where you, you know, literally press record on a four track or, you know, even just a little boom box in the practice space and... <laughs> You could uh, distribute that to your friends, so when you played a show, you'd have some level of engagement, and now that that doesn't really exist, so I get a lot of young bands that come to me, and they say, well, you know, what do I do? I want to tour, but I don't have any music, and I always encourage them to get some music done, and then they say, well, should I shop this music, or should I self-release it? And of course, that's on a case-by-case basis, but there's a lot of things that you can be doing on your own to get music out there. There's so many tools that allow you to get music up, and of course, everybody listening probably knows more of them than I do, but that is something that is key, and then you really just do. You got to go put in the work. You got to prove that you can at least weekend warrior it. Leave Friday after school or after work and come back Sunday at five in the morning when you got to roll into school or work at seven or eight. That is not an easy life. And you and I have both done that. You know, that was one of the most invigorating times of my life. I don't really want to do it now, but those no. are the things that made it so you and I could be in bands that have toured all over the world. Yeah. Number three. Are you open to suggestions and change? With being signed to a label comes a vast cloud of knowledge. There are people who have dedicated most of their lives to breaking bands and know the ins and outs of what works and what doesn't. Sometimes you will get asked to do things that won't make sense to you at first, but the reasons behind the changes will become apparent over time. If you aren't open to change or input from someone else, you most certainly aren't ready for a record label and should maybe maintain a DIY approach. I love it. You can tell Shandan lives in California. And even though I think you might be a straight edge guy, a vast cloud of knowledge. Uh, <laughs> I would say a vast wealth of knowledge. But anyways, you know, he makes another good point here. It really depends where the band is in their career. And sometimes I look at an artist and... Yeah, I mean, I guess I want to be able to give some input based on experience, but simultaneously, whether I'm managing an artist or whether they're signed to my label, I also want to listen to them. And if I have an idea that I think works, I want to actually be respectful, make sure that I listen to them because as a 43-year-old man in the business, I don't know everything and I don't know the pulse of what is happening currently. So I want to give the artist the opportunity to tell me like, look, dude, your old ass needs to sit back for a second and let us do our thing. But his general point, open 
to suggestions and change is of course important. I mean, I've changed band names. I've surely changed their logos. I've changed, you know, how they set up on stage, what they wear, what they look like. And no, it's not boy band stuff. It's simple suggestions to allow them to take the most advantage of what they're doing with their art and be able to connect with the fan base in this very visual world that we live in nowadays. I often think about an experiment that I'd like to run one of these days where like I find this band and we have an agreement to where they have to do everything that I tell them to do. <laughs> right? Like and it will never work because who wants to, you know, experiment with their own careers and lives, right? But it's just kind of like a fantasy of mine to to find these group of guys and 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 I tell them everything that they need to do just as an experiment of if uninterrupted input and execution on their part actually equates to some sense of forward momentum, right? I don't know. It's just, I mean, it sounds, it sounds silly when I say it out loud, but I mean, I, hey, in my mind, it sounds like fun. Call up your girl, Sharon Osborne, And once managemental TV launches, I think we've got the idea for something here. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think what happens and I'm guilty of this too, at times you are emotionally attached to whatever you're investing in in you know for yourself you should be that's part of what makes this fun it's part of what tugs at the heartstrings when you have to do things that put you outside your comfort zone but that's where yourself myself label people are able to come in we don't have the emotional attachment to it you know how many times have i told a band man your name you know we talked about this in the branding episode your name's terrible People quit using us, comma, something or other four years ago. Let's change that. Well, uh, you know, that name came from when the three of us were sitting in the parking lot at high school smoking a J, and it just means so much to us. Okay, well, the fans that you're trying to connect with have none of that emotional attachment and just think your name is dumb. So let's get on with it. Yeah, man. Number four, do you view your band as a business or a hobby? At some point, every musician needs to sit down and ask themselves this serious question. Is music something I just want to do for fun or do I want this to be my full-time job? If you are serious and want your band to become your career, it's time to treat it like a job. Get up early, set goals and tasks, start managing your money, calculating costs and expenses and printing merch. Is your product good enough or does it need more work? A record label will always pick up a band that has their business together over one that is a complete mess. Does he really say job twice in that paragraph? I don't want a fucking job, man. I got into a band, so I didn't have to have a job. I don't want to answer to you. I think he has a good point. You do need to take it seriously. But especially when you are in the developmental stages, taking yourself too seriously can kind of get in your way. I think there's got to be a, a good mix here. I don't know if I completely agree. I mean, the last sentence is all things else created equal. A record label will pick up a band that has their business together over one that's a complete mess. But you and I have completely watched plenty of messes get signed because that front man who's the total train wreck, who can't answer his phone for interviews, who can't be bothered to show up to practice, who is telling the people wherever to piss off 
has rock star potential. The best of both worlds is a guy like Spencer from Ice Nine Kills. You know, and it's taken him a long time to get there. But he's got great star potential, and he's a completely responsible person. But that's taken a long time to develop into that. You know what I mean? My takeaway from this is something that every musician has to really take seriously as being honest with yourself. When I was going through this and kind of prepping for today's episode, I I kind of really thought about sort of my internal makeup, like as a musician very early on. And I remembered back to like, I had a music teacher and he had some hookup at a studio to where my band could get its demo done for free or something. Right. And this was like my very first like heavy metal garage band. And, uh, and there was, it was like a three piece and there was two other guys and we were able to cut a three song demo of our original stuff. Right. And I remember like getting out a piece of paper and a clipboard and making a checklist to do list of everything that we needed to bring to the studio and prepping all my, you know, prepping all the gear, prepping all the stuff, making sure everyone showed up on time, making sure all the songs were rehearsed to me internally. Like at that moment, like I knew that I took myself as a musician and what I wanted to do very seriously. And then the other guys were the types of guys that for some reason they learned an instrument early on, but just, they just, they weren't lifers. You know what I mean? Like they weren't committed to the project and I am where I'm at now in music. And those guys, I mean, those guys probably quit music shortly thereafter making that demo, you know what I mean? Like, and, and stuff. So, so for me, my takeaway of this is you're responsible to a group of other people. And that's not just the band guys. I mean, if you get to a point to where you're surrounding yourself with record labels and, and publicists and managers, like you have a responsibility to that team of people and you need to be honest with yourself early on if this is something that you're really cut out for and if not man you got to like duck out and, and focus on what it is that you want to do in life you know that's my takeaway yeah but, i mean listen I, it's great perspective and and i don't disagree with it i just think that like all of that stuff is of course important and you know part of it is when you have a band it's which person in the band plays which role as well there's guys in certain bands that we both, you know, work with where one guy is better with money than the other. One guy's better with equipment than the other. But I do respect the point that if none of them are thinking about how we're, you know, focusing on these things to propel ourselves forward, we're never going to get there. For sure. Number 5 and potentially the most important, do you have a fan base? On the daily, I receive hundreds of band submissions at Artery Recordings, and most convey the message that, quote, all they need is to get signed, unquote. No music, no shows, no fans, just that message. The truth is, I don't have a button under my desk I push that makes a band instantly famous with an army of instant fans. All bands take time and effort to develop. Before committing to such a huge task, every label looks to see if you already have buzz. If you have buzz, most labels hope to intensify that on a bigger scale. So promote, play shows, place ads, premiere videos, all are small steps in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, he hits the nail on the head here. You've got to have done something and shown something for yourselves. You know, you and I both know there's a time... 
and a place to to shop things. How many times have I had to tell a band that you know they need to be patient, they need to trust my judgment? They may have just written what they consider to be the best song in the entire world, but if they've got none of these other things that he's talking about, then the label's going to look and say, "Well, I apologize. Like, yeah, you got something great here, but but have you gotten it out to the world and has that connected?" I mean, that's what all of us really look for because music is so subjective. You and I both have seen plenty of very talented, very good songs written, recorded, and released that never, ever, ever do anything more than just sit there because it missed the mark for whatever the reason is. They're ahead of their time, behind the times, left of the time, right of the time. There's so many factors that go with it. But having buzz or having any of these things that he conveys, music shows, fans, message, or you know, music shows and fans, you got to have that stuff. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Bands got signed to record labels, and record labels did a lot of work, spent a lot of money in promotions to put that band out in the world and see if it stuck. Kind of the way that it used to roll was that one success paid for the next nine failures. But the success was of such an incredible level that it justified the nine failures. Nowadays... The promotion behind it is at the hands of the bands, really. And because of the internet and and uh, social media, bands can build a following and build awareness of their band and record and put their music out there on their own. You know, I mean, you can you can be on iTunes and you don't need any help of anyone to do that other than just the uh, ability to go out there and do it your, yourself. The thing of it is with record labels is that they need to know these days there's some going to be some kind of return of their investment. The only way that that's going to happen is if there's a visible acknowledgement that there's some sense of a fan base going on, right? Because from a label's perspective, and I'm not even a record label, but from a record label's perspective, if a band puts its music out there and no one gives a shit, chances are a record label that would sign that band and would put it out there is people still wouldn't give a shit. And that's going to be their perspective. Now, if there's, if there's a band that puts its music out there on the internet and it starts to, it starts to grow and people start to talk about it and people start to download it and, and, and people start to watch views and like the Facebook page and click on Instagram and comment on Instagram. Then there's some momentum there. There's a potential fan base. And then that's a good point when the label can engage because then it can do best what the label does and then bring it to the masses on a much grander scale because there's something to build off of, right? So like I, I you know, like I run into people that have like uh, an older mindset of like they need to tour with a bigger band and they need to be on a record label and really i just things don't work that way anymore not not from my perspective you got to get out there and you got to grind it on your own and you got to build your value um because then and only then is a record label going to want to work with you in my opinion yeah, and in the underground, you know, and in the heavier genres and all that stuff. I mean, there was other indicators previously to the internet where 
I mean, how many times was it that a promoter would call up their buddy at a record label or their booking agent friend who would then call a record label and say, you know, my God, here's this band that first time they played here, you know, a year ago, they drew 63 people. They played here in the summer, you know, half a year later, that number doubled. And now they just sold out the 500 cap room. You got to figure out who this is, you know, or, you know, figure out how to take this and, you know, move it on up across to the to the masses so you're exactly right i mean in some ways everything's changed in some ways nothing's changed (laughs) you know people do people are less inclined to take the massive chances but of course you know the money's come down and people are hedging their bets and getting other rights that they used to not get 360 deals you name it which we'll talk about in future episodes i'm sure but getting signed or even the idea of getting signed is just one of the most exciting things that can happen to a band and i do take your point I've worked with plenty of bands that, you know, haven't wanted to be signed. They've want or they've been signed, and then they want to do things on their own. And as a management company that has a team of people and an infrastructure, you know, we're able to support our artists that want to do that. But there really is a value to the experience and the team that a record label uh, brings together. It's not for everyone, but it really is such an incredible part and time of a band's you know career 100 percent. well thanks for tuning in we'll be back here next week in the meantime you can find me on twitter and instagram at blasco 1313 we encourage you to email us any questions or comments you may have for the podcast to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com because hey people we do this show for you consider it a tool for understanding this ever so challenging and confusing business of music if you have listened this far much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands mike any final thoughts just want to say that you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mike O'Loop. You can also get my music management primer, The Business of Being an Artist, just by going to outerloopcoaching.com and entering your name and email. Once again, I'd like to encourage any and all of you that want to support this show to go to the iTunes store if that's where you listen. If you listen elsewhere, go and rate and review us in whatever place you are doing so, and maybe even tell a friend. I think this is a really helpful platform, and this episode in particular I think will resonate with a lot of people. So feel free to share it with somebody, whether it's on social media, via text, or via email. Thanks again for having us. It's always a pleasure, Blasco. I'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I'm here to tell you about Lorna Shore's new album, Flesh Coffin, coming out February 17th, 2017, on Outer Loop Records. Recorded at Atrium Audio with Carson Slovak and Grant McFarland. Lorna Shore will be on tour with Carnifex, Pelusia, Rings of Saturn, and She Must Burn, February 1st to April 2nd. sure to head over to Spotify to stream Denounce the Light and Funeral Moon right now and head to allinmerch.com slash outerloop for exclusive packages including CD and vinyl.
right now, let's listen to the track Funeral Moon from the album Flesh Coffin. Check out the album that NewTranscendence.com calls a dark, devastatingly heavy display of mankind's darkest thoughts and feelings. All wrapped up in an atmospheric yet abrasive display of no-holds-barred brutality and rip-driven insanity. This album is brutal to say the least, so do yourself a favor and check it out. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.